Shady Pines guys, Steve and Wayne. Hey, welcome everybody to the Shady Pines guys with Steve and Dwayne. I'm Steve. And I'm Dwayne. And we're here uh, for another episode. I'm glad you're tuning in. How you been doing, Dwayne? Doing okay? I've been doing great, Steve. How about yourself? Me too, me too. It's that time of the year for our places with all the pollen, right? So, oh, yes, I had to clean my windshields completely <laughs> off the other day. It's just like snow almost. Yes, I know. It's and today we have a lot of wind up here, so it looks like it looks like there's a fire someplace because all the pollen that's in the air. And um, it's I'm, the same here, it's so windy <laughs> here, it'll blow you down. It's Isn't so that weird? It's all the way up to Ohio, too. When I talk to my mom, so we that, that this whole part of the this whole half of the country seems to be under it, I guess. <laughs> But yeah. uh, so I'm just popping allergy pills, so I'm doing okay. <laughs> uh, on today's show, we've got a lot of stuff for you. We're going to have entertainment news that include uh, things about Diana Ross, Beyonce, Stephanie Mills, Madonna, uh, Dionne Warwick, and RuPaul. Uh, Dwayne's going to have a soap dish with Larry Brinkman and uh, Elizabeth Hubbard information. And uh, I'm also going to do a little thing uh, where I talk about one of my favorite shows and a favorite episode of one of my favorite shows, Good Times. And uh, and also Dwayne's going to have an interview later on with uh, writer Alina Adams. So we got a lot of stuff to cover. And I think I'll shoot it over to Dwayne now for the entertainment news. Well, recently in the last week, Stephanie Mills stated that she does not think Beyonce is comparable to Diana Ross. Stephanie Mills found herself in hot water immediately over this because Beyonce's fans had a backlash to it, and they were very upset about it. Well, I'm sorry, but I agree with Stephanie Mills. Beyonce is not comparable to Diana Ross. Diana Ross is the original diva that everyone wants to be, and Beyonce is more or less, to me, a, a wannabe. So I have to agree with Stephanie Mills, and I don't think she was being mean to anybody or cruel she's just telling it like it is and i'd also like to talk about uh dion warwick had a documentary about her life that has recently came out called don't make me over and she's getting a lot of attention from this and fortunately the music companies have listened most of her catalog both the scepter and the warner years have all been reissued in um, some of them are five albums together in a pack at a, a bargain price so that you can get several at one time. But if there's any one album you particularly loved or wanted to get again of Dion's, now would be the time to, uh, to do it. So I wanted to uh, inform us all of that. And also last week, on RuPaul's Drag Race, there was an upset when Spice and Selena S. Titties ended up in the bottom. Well, first of all, Spice had a, an impressive outfit that for the raceway section of the runway. She had come up with this very creative outfit that I didn't feel she'd belonged in the bottom to start with. Then her and Selena S. Titties have to do their lip sync for their life. And clearly Spice won, but Selena was granted the right to stay and Spice was sent home. There was quite an upset over this with 
them taking polls and everything else, and more than 50% of the people thought spies should have stayed, and only 20-some percent thought that uh, uh, Selena S. Titty should stay. So um, I don't know if we'll hear any more about that or if there'll be any mention of that in a later episode, but uh, we'll stay tuned to see who wins the race this year. And now back to you, Steve. I hear you've got some news about Madonna for us. Yeah, since we had discussed uh, last episode, Madonna's appearance at the Grammys, uh, she posted a new pic of herself on social media the other day with the caption, look how cute I am. And now that that swelling from the surgery has gone down, LOL. And she does look better than she did at the Grammys. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't know if she's telling the truth. It's hard to tell with her. But, uh, but she does look a lot better than she did a few weeks ago. So uh, there's also other Madonna news. Her older brother, Anthony Ciccone, passed away recently. He was 66. Uh, she wrote a tribute on social media saying, Thank you for blowing my mind as a young girl. And listed Charlie Parker, Miles Davis, Buddhism, expansive thinking and more as things that her brother taught her about. They had a sometimes tumultuous relationship with uh, her brother having a drinking problem and he's preferred living on the streets, but it is reported that Madonna paid for his health care these last few years when he couldn't take care of himself any longer. And in still more Madonna news, uh, she's reportedly dating 29-year-old Josh Popper, a boxing coach who trains one of her kids at his gym. Now, before Popper, she was dating 23-year-old Andrew Darnell. Like Cher, Madonna doesn't care what people think about the age difference, saying this makes people very uncomfortable. I feel like everything I do makes people feel really uncomfortable. And I think Madonna likes making people feel uncomfortable, which is why she's <laughs> been a success for so many years and why she's always being talked about. So there you go for entertainment news. Madonna trying to hog it up as usual. <laughs> and and uh, so we're going to go back over to Dwayne now with uh, his music gems. Now it's time for Music Gems. Well, today's Music Gems, I'm featuring the 70s Supremes. A lot of people think when Diana Ross left the Supremes in January of 1970 that the group ended. However, it went on for seven more years, and there was quite a bit of great music material recorded. Um, first of all, I will say this set is out of print, the Supremes 70s Gene Terrell Years box set. I would highly recommend it. It's out of print, and it's therefore expensive. Hopefully it'll get reissued soon, but it has my favorite album in that, as in that set, New Ways But Love Stays, which was my favorite album with Gene Terrell as lead singer there's also the uh, promises kept sessions recordings that had not been previously released that are new to that set and jing terrell does a bang-up job on it's too late baby which uh was carol king's song gene really blows that away and the whole set's good because the the ride on album is good the new ways but love stays album was exceptional and then the Touch and the Floyd Joy albums were wonderful albums, too. I wasn't too crazy about the one that will be in the box set, the Supremes produced and arranged by Jimmy Webb. I feel that's my least favorite Supremes album ever. And it's possibly because Jimmy Webb used so many 
anonymous background singers and the blossoms and whoever you you really it just doesn't sound or feel like a supremes album but other than that i would rec- highly recommend if you can find the gene terrell years box set getting it i would also like to recommend the supremes let yourself go the 70s album volume two the final sessions this album features the years when sherry Payne had joined the group as a hot new lead singer and the group was having chart action again um there's not as much previously released merchant uh songs on this as there are on on the gene terrell years set but still the three albums high energy mary sherry and suzay and the album self-titled the supremes were all worth getting and buying this set for plus like i said there are some previously released but un- uh, previously unreleased material on it and i would also recommend the supremes 70s anthology uh there's a lot of previously but unreleased material on this and some standout recordings that uh I feel is also worth picking it up for. And I'd like to also mention that we just celebrated the anniversary of her passing here. Um, Florence Ballard, she did an album in the late sixties after leaving the Supremes and it was available on CD and it's an excellent album. There a lot of good material on here the one track i wasn't crazy about was the impossible dream i just didn't feel flow felt that song and uh, it just wasn't as good as the other songs on it but uh, it's a good album nonetheless and i know i've mentioned mary wilson before in our music gems but once again i'm going to recommend that if you haven't got it get mary wilson the motown anthology this collects a lot of her best leads and things and i think you'll enjoy it and now back to you steve uh, great that all sounds great that all sounds great um i would like to uh i just want to just discuss uh, one of my favorite episodes of one of my favorite television series it's episode two of season one of good times and it's titled black jesus uh, this episode first aired back on February 15th, 1974 and it's both interesting and frustrating that so many parts are still relevant 49 years later and uh it opens with jj painting in the living room of the evans apartment after a little tiff with his sister thelma his brother michael comes in the front door and comments on jj's painting of sweet daddy williams a local man of questionable income now michael says it's the first day of black history week and that jj should be painting a picture of someone more relevant to black history that's when JJ proclaims that Sweet Daddy owns three apartment houses, two Cadillacs, and a Lincoln, and ain't never worked a day in his life, and ain't never been to jail, and that he's the same dude that got shot five times and ran 70 miles to the hospital, and if that ain't black history, I don't know what is. And of course, uh, a big laugh from the audience with that, but Michael tells JJ that the Pan-African Council was sponsoring an art show this week, and that if he had a good painting, he could win a prize. So Michael stumbles onto another painting in the coat closet and asks JJ about it. And JJ says that's black Jesus. Michael announces that this is the perfect painting to submit for the art show. Uh, He shows it to Thelma and she asks, what is that? Michael tells her black Jesus, but she responds with, no, that's Ned the wino. So (laughs) JJ says he isn't going to enter that painting. 
in the contest. So Michael decides he's going to hang it up on the wall in place of Florida's Jesus painting. Now, JJ reminds him that Jesus may have your soul, but mama has got your behind if, if you mess with her painting. Uh, just then, Florida walks in with the laundry, and JJ keeps jumping in front of her, trying to stall her so that Michael can put the painting back. It doesn't work, and she drops her basket of clothes when she sees that Michael has hung a black Jesus painting on the wall in place of her Jesus. She shouts, well, I hope the space lab is out of the way because I'm just about to go into orbit. Florida replaces the painting, and Michael pleads with her uh, to at least let them hang the black Jesus next to her Jesus. He then tells her Jesus could have been black, that the lost tribe of Israel was were black. JJ says, could be, because if there were ever a lost people, it's us. Florida says her picture of Jesus is the Jesus that she knows and loves. And if Jesus were black, the Bible would tell us that. Michael protests more, and he says it does. And then he finds a scripture that says his hair was like wool and his eyes like fire. Florida is shocked. And Michael points out that black Jesus's hair looks like wool. Florida relents and allows Michael to hang the picture only during Black History Week, though. Now, Walona visits and immediately recognizes the man in the painting as Ned the Wino. But Florida gives in more <laughs> and decides to let them keep the painting up for now. Uh, and immediately the family starts having good things happen. Like James gets back. He got some money from the IRS. He, they were being audited and they owed him money, which he uses to buy gifts for the family. James attributes his good luck to the IRS to the Black Jesus painting, and he wants he wants it to stay on the wall. Next, Thelma's excited to announce that the boy she likes invited her to go to an Isaac Hayes concert. James points out again that Black Jesus has brought good things to Thelma, and James ends up having his number come up and win some money. Wilona finds out that the man who wants to take her on a second date owns a gas station and says it's because of Black Jesus. Michael gets $2 from a guy who hit another guy on the street to say that the other guy hit him. And the other guy gave Michael $3 to say the opposite. Then the police show up and nobody wants to admit they gave Michael money. So he made five bucks off of that. Uh, James and Florida argue over the painting with James believing it's brought them good luck and that he wants it to keep to stay on the wall. So they keep getting this good luck. J.J. returns from the art contest saying he didn't enter his painting because he saw several other guys in line that had paintings of Sweet Daddy of their own. James and the family decide J.J. should take the Black Jesus painting and enter it into the contest. Now, in the end, J.J. doesn't win the art contest, but Florida says they should put him, put him back on the wall next to her Jesus because their family could use all the help they can get. JJ yells dynamite and the show ends. So this early episode of this show really gives you a good look at the family's dynamics, their beliefs and their personalities. And this series gives a realistic look at life for a poor black family in the seventies. And quite frankly, still highlighting issues being dealt with here in the 2020s. If you like good times, this episode is a good one to rewatch, but if you've never watched black Jesus is entertaining and entertaining and informative. And of course, always full of laughs at the same time. And by the way, this uh, episode is the first episode that mentions Sweet Daddy and Ned DeWino, who both become recurring characters later in the series. Soap Dish. Today on Soap Dish, I would like to discuss and review the As the World Turns James Stenbeck Story DVD. What can I say about this DVD? This one is the best one I have watched out of the whole set so far. 
it spans from the early 80s, late 70s to almost up to the end. You get to see an entire parade of Oakdale characters that came and went and that you remember fondly in this episode. When it starts, there's Barbara Rodell as Joyce Coleman. As it progresses, you get to see Meg Ryan as Betsy. You get to see Scott Bryce as Craig. But the one person who makes this DVD great is Larry Brigman as John Dixon. His acting is never phony. It's always real and believable. He really made the James Stenbeck story what it was by being a part of it. I feel like it, Larry's acting is the main reason the storyline is great. James needed a foe that was his equal, and Larry brought that more to the to the table. Um, I also enjoyed seeing bits and pieces of like the Craig and Sierra storyline and the Betsy and Steve storyline. And at the last two episodes, Elizabeth Hubbard comes into the storyline. And in the last episode, we get to see that John is fed up with Lucinda and her lies and her manipulations and he wants a divorce, and this was to be the night of their anniversary party. The acting these two do in these scenes is just off the charts, and the chemistry they have between them is off the charts. There's just so much to enjoy about this DVD set that I would highly recommend the James Stembeck story. Get it first. This was the best set yet. Meanwhile, in Los Angeles... Sheila is trapped with Bill, but in love with Deacon. And will Thomas make his way inward way back into the Forrester family and be accepted again? And if he is, uh, can they really trust him? Or is another round of shenanigans going to happen? He seems to be really good at this. And then we also have the Brooke and Taylor friendship and I really hope that stays a friendship and uh, doesn't go any further than that. But I haven't watched yesterday's or today's episode, so I'll have to see for myself. Today we have a very special guest with us, Miss Alina Adams. You will probably be familiar with Alina from having wrote The Man from Oakdale and Oakdale Confidential years ago. Uh, Alina, how did you get involved with working with P&G and CBS to start those stories? Well, the story, my personal story, actually goes a little bit further back. I, I've been watching soap opera since 1980. Yes, I was one of those cliches, the 10-year-old who was watching Luke and Laura. But, you know, a cliche is a cliche for a reason. So I have been watching soaps since 1980 and I started on ABC but then I switched over and watched all the CBS shows and all the NBC shows and young people today don't know the horror of not being able to record them or to be able to play them later when you had to sit next to the TV with your hand on the knob <laughs> and turn the knob back and forth because you were trying to watch Days of Our Lives as the world turns and One Life to Live at the same time which uh, I grew up in San Francisco which is when they were on so young people today will never know that, that trauma 
drama. So I watched all of the shows. And then my first job right out of college, I worked for a television show called Pure Soap, which was on the E! network where they basically did highlights from every show. Did you watch it? Are you familiar with it? I've heard of it. I have heard of it. It it was on the air in 1994. So I worked on Pure Soap. And then after Pure Soap, I moved to New York to work for ABC because that was in the middle of the O.J. Simpson trial and the soaps were being preempted. So I came to ABC to work on a show called Soap Line, which would catch viewers up on what they missed on their ABC shows if the show was preempted that day for the OJ trial. So that was my introduction to working not directly in soaps, but sort of soap adjacent. And then after that, I took a little detour and I actually worked for ABC Sports in their figure skating coverage department, which is great and wonderful and flying all around the world and going to skating competitions and all of that is great. But then I hit a roadblock known as having children. And my older son at 18 months expressed very clearly that he was not amused by my constantly coming and going by sort of refusing to acknowledge me when I came home. So at that point, I realized, okay, this isn't going to work anymore. I need something that's a bit more stable, something that's a bit more nine to five. And I ended up at that point working for Procter & Gamble Productions for As the World Turns and Guiding Light, where I produced the official websites for the show, which means whoever visited those websites where there would be extra content, like Katie at one point had a magazine, or Edmund was keeping a diary on Guiding Light, So all of that material that was on the As the World Turns and Guiding Light websites, I wrote. So whenever any character wrote something, some extra material, that was actually me writing it in conjunction. I, I, of course, worked with the writers to make sure that everything lined up. And it was out of that that when celebrating As the World Turns 50th anniversary, that I suggested that because As the World Turns, okay, now follow this very closely, As the World Turns is owned by Procter & Gamble, but it airs on CBS. CBS is owned by Viacom, which also owns Simon & Schuster, the publisher. So Um, I suggested that for As the World Turns 50th Anniversary, we do the tie-in book that became Oakdale Confidential. And then that did so well, it actually hit the New York Times bestseller list. A soap opera book spent two weeks as number three on the New York Times bestseller list to give you the idea of the power of the soap opera audience. And because that one did so well, then we did a guiding light tie-in, which was Jonathan's story, which was pegged to when Tom Pelfrey came back as Jonathan to guiding light. Yes. Then after that, the final book in that sequence was the man from Oakdale, which was also shown on the air as a book that Henry wrote. Yes. I remember. And you couldn't go anywhere, Alina, without seeing those books sitting at a bookshop right Mm -hmm. up on the front shelf. I remember seeing it in hardcover and paperback both. So they sold millions of that, I would assume. Yes, both As the World Turns and The Guiding Light books. They made the New York Times bestseller list. And The Man from Oakdale won the Scribe Award, which is the award for tie-in writers, you know, books that are tied into TV shows, beating like big names like Batman. And I I can't remember everyone who was nominated that year, but it was definitely some movie tie-ins. There was Batman. There may have been minions or something like that but 
basically Henry, the man from Oakdale, beat um, definitely Batman, if if no one else that I can remember. And can't you imagine Henry getting a kick out of that? Henry beat Batman. <laughs> well, that would have been one of their better fantasies for him. <laughs> Actually, I could have seen him doing that. He, uh, it, that would have been really cute and kind of campy and funny all at the same time. Well, do you so, remember when Guiding Light did the comic book? I, I wasn't involved in yes, that. Yes, I do. With Harley? Yes. So. Yes, it crossed over to the Iron Man comic yeah. book at Marvel Publishes. <laughs> yep, yep. And it's all, all corporate synergy. And I was not involved with the Guiding Light comic tie-in. I was involved with the official websites. And then I did the three books. Even though the first one was published as anonymous. And then on the air, it turned out that Katie wrote it. But I'm going to let you in on a secret. Katie is an imaginary person. Imaginary people don't write books. People like me write books. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think I noticed on one of the later editions of it, it now says, uh, as told by Katie yeah. Peretti to Alina Adams. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what we came up with. But yes, because both Henry and Katie, shockingly being imaginary people, did not really do their share of the work, if I may say. I understand completely. I, yeah, we can't Im Im imagine a character. Now, let me ask you this. Did you get to meet the actors that played Henry and Katie before you started writing or was that well, a help? Because I actually, I would go on the sets because part of the work that I did for um, the website is I would interview the actors. I would go on set and take behind the scenes pictures. So I was involved. I wasn't on the set every day because the PR office was actually in a separate building. But I would go on the sets very often because, as I said, I would either shoot behind the scenes features or I would interview actors or I would do a roundup or, you know, when we were doing things like the fan club luncheon and all of that. So I was involved with all of that oh I, i'm wonderful yeah i know those fan club luncheons are well remembered by the fans they talk about how sweet all the cast was to and everyone Mindy, Mindy Shulman did an amazing job putting those together those yeah everybody remembers them fondly very fondly so now tell me about if you don't mind talking about going on pretending for a moment this is another uh article you've wrote with P&G influence and you're talking about Erna Phillips and yes. the history of guiding, guiding light. I was really enjoying reading those. And I saw that you were asking if people uh, would support it in book format. And I was certainly hoping that it did go to book format. Well, here's, um, here's the story. Here's the story with that. Basically. So after, as the world turns and guiding light were canceled, obviously um, everyone who worked on those shows was no longer working on the shows. I actually did something else at roughly around that time. Um, P and G took back episodes of another world and they put them online. I think they believe they were on YouTube and what I did to promote those episodes was I wrote an officially sanctioned by P&G continuation called Another World Today, where it was picking up the story in present day, but using old vintage clips to illustrate the story. So it was a multimedia effort that was done 
for PNG with, with PNG. So I had that experience of writing a multimedia serial continuation of Another World, which by the way is still available online. If people go to anotherworldtoday.com, it's still there. Um, eventually that ended because PNG completely closed um, the soap opera. Obviously, their soap opera division. But what I had learned from that was how to write in um, installments. Sort of back in the days, you know, Charles Dickens, before his books were books, they were serials. They, they were basically soap operas. Every chapter was serialized in a magazine. So I really learned a lot about writing that when I was doing Another World Today. But I also write novels. I lead a lot of lives. I, I've lived a lot of lives. <laughs> and I have, um, in July of 2020... I had a book that came out that was called The Nesting Dolls, which was a historical fiction about a Russian Jewish family from the Soviet Union moving to America. And then in November of 2022, I had another novel that um, was published. It's called My Mother's Secret, a novel of the Jewish autonomous region. And here's one of the things that we all know. You know this. I know this. Everybody knows this. When you have a product, you have to promote it. You promote exactly. the podcast. I promote my books. And so I wanted to promote My Mother's Secret, a novel of the Jewish Autonomous Region, which was a historical fiction novel. And at the same time, I write for a website called Soap Hub, which covers a lot of the current, the, the four soaps still left on the air. Yes, I'm going to be a little depressed and I'm going to be a little bit bitter that I think when I started watching soaps, there were probably 20 and now there's four, but... We all, we all know that too. There's there's no reason for us to go on, but Soap Hub covers those soaps. So what we decided we would do on Soap Hub is I would write an original soap opera that would feature Erna Phillips, the creator of Guiding Light and um, As the World Turns and almost any soap you can think of. And not only... In, in a way, you can think of her as the grandmother of all the soaps because she mentored Bill Bell and she mentored Agnes Nixon. They were all her writers before they went off to do their own thing. So she's really the grandmother, the godmother, whatever you want to call her, of all soaps. And I would write a historical fiction that would be serialized on Soap Hub and it would feature a soap opera writer in the 1950s, right at the time period when soaps were going from radio to television, which was a very exciting time in the days of soap opera, except for Erna Phillips. Erna Phillips was not a fan. She really did not like the idea of her soaps going from radio to TV because Erna needed to control Everything. Everything. And, yes. And Irna felt that um, if her shows were moved to TV, she wouldn't have as much control. So she really fought it for a while until finally Guiding Light made the transition. It was the Guiding Light and made the transition to TV. So that was a very, very interesting time in the history of soap operas. Irna was certainly a very, very interesting person. To give you an example, the classic story about Erna is her, and her need for control is when CBS <laughs> told her that they would try to do one of her Guiding Light television episodes in color. Erna was so against it that she wrote a whole episode that took place in an operating room. So they broadcast it in color, but it was all just black on white because it was all just doctors in an operating room. That's Erna. That, so. She was an amazing woman. I, when I first heard that years ago, I was like, wow, man, she found a way to, you know, deal with every problem, you know, that she, she had to have that control. So I guess 
what we've heard from some of the cast members that worked with her, I guess it's true. You know, she's very controlling of everything. Very controlling. And if an actor um, upset her off in some ways, there have been characters that she killed off just for, for spite because she didn't like something that an actor did, either a choice. Liz, Liz yeah. on As the World Turns yes. is one. Yes, absolutely. So, yes, sometimes we think all decisions are creative decisions, but they're not. Sometimes they're they're petty revenge decisions. <laughs> yes. So, but that is an exciting time and an exciting person to write about. So my serial, Go On Pretending, which is, again, still available. If you go to SoapHub.com and you just search for Go On Pretending, you find all the archives and all the episodes are there and you can just read it straight through like a novel. Which brings me to your question. I have a roundabout way of answering questions. Oh, no. <laughs> That's fine. So your question about, yes, my hope is if enough people read it and enough people leave um, positive comments on it, that I will be able to show this to a potential publisher and say, look, this book has people who want to read more. This book has people who will buy it. So my hope is people will go to Soap Hub, they will read Go On Pretending, they will find it absolutely fascinating, and they will leave a comment on any one of the episodes, which I can then use to show potential publishers that this book has the potential to be expanded into a bigger story. Well, I hope that, that that becomes a reality because I thought the work you had done on it was very interesting. And like I said, I'd read about Erna before and heard about her from interviews with Don Hastings and, and Eileen Fulton. And so I found her fascinating to start with. And then when you started the story, I was drawn into it. So I really hope they, they you get it put in a book format. I think it deserves well, I appreciate that. And I'm actually going to mention, since we're talking about books, um, about 10 years ago, I did a book that was called Soap Opera 451, a time capsule of daytime drama's greatest moments. And what I did there was I crowdsourced it. I asked soap fans what their favorite moments through all of soap opera history from all the shows, whether they were still on the air or not, were. And then once I had the votes on which were the most popular moments, I went back to the actors, to the writers, to the producers, to various people who were involved in the creation of those moments. And I asked people for their behind the scenes stories. For instance, with As the World Turns, I spoke to Susan Dansby, who is, you, I'm sure you know, is an amazing yes writer. Um, every time I speak to her, I'm like, well, how many Emmys do you have now? Because every time I speak to her, she has another Emmy. Um, she actually wrote about how she put together the Jack and Carly breakup scenes, the ones that I believe won both Maura and Michael, their Emmys. So I have a behind the scenes story from her. From Another World, I actually talked to Linda Dano about how they filmed those scenes of Felicia's intervention, the one that uh, Linda Dano won her Emmy for. So there's a lot of things like that for um, Guiding Light. I spoke to uh, Jill Hurst about mm -hmm. um, the relationship, how they wrote the relationship with Natalia and Olivia. So it's, it's very much across the board, all these moments that fans remember from all the shows. And not only do I have interviews with the people who were involved in creating them, but I also have links to clips 
because it's an enhanced electronic book so that you can read about it and then you can click a link and then you can watch it. That sounds so exciting. I, I've got to check this out. <laughs> I, as I said, I've lead, led a lot of lives and I've done a lot of things. You're a very interesting and intelligent woman. I You can just grasp that speaking with you instantly, Alina. You you know your, your work and you know what uh, details go into it. Uh, I, I it's uh, as I said, you are our first interviewee on the show, and I was a little nervous today, so I appreciate you being uh, patient with me. Uh, it's something I'm uh, uh, trying to um, do and probably and hope to do again. So, you were our first victim. So well, did I do a good job? <laughs> oh, you I, were I, wonderful. <laughs> you were wonderful. We couldn't have asked for a nicer more intelligent guest for our first time out than to had you. I'm just so glad we were able to have you on the show. Is there anything else about your current books you'd like to tell us and, and your website where they can purchase that, them as well? That's an excellent lead in. My website is alinaadams.com. People can find all my books there. They can also find, it goes back to the As the World Turns books, the Guiding Light books, the soap opera books, historical fiction. All of that is on my website, which is alinaadams.com. On social media, on Twitter, I am I am Alina Adams on Instagram. I am I am Alina Adams, and on Facebook it's a little trickier. It's actually my real name, which is Alina Severinovsky Wickham. Alina Adams is my pen name, so I love to hear from readers and I love to hear from soap fans. So please get in touch either through my website alinaadams.com or through any of my social media. Well, I once again appreciate you, Alina, for coming and joining us today, and it's been an absolute pleasure. and And I hope to see. Uh, go on pretending in book form soon. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I wanted to let people know that they can find our podcast now also uh, the usual places, but also now on Spreaker, Stitcher, and Pandora. So check them out there. Subscribe. I would like to thank Alina Adams for being our guest today. She was a delight to get to talk with, and I hope we can do it again soon. I'd also like to mention to everyone that I am an administrator of the following groups. There is the As the World Turns Memories Last a Lifetime, As the World Turns Forever Facebook Fan Group, As the World Turns Always Facebook Fan Group, the Elizabeth Hubbard Lucinda Walsh of As the World Turns Facebook Fan Group, and I also have the Kimberlyn Brown, Sheila Carter Facebook fan group as well. Please join us there if you have any interest Those, those. I hope you enjoyed our show today. Thank you for listening to us. And we'll see you again soon. This is Dwayne Gregory inviting you to join us again for the Shady Pines guys, Steve and Dwayne. Stay tuned for Guiding Light. On most of these stations. The Shady Pines Guys with Dwayne and Steve. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. Any unauthorized redistribution or reproduction of the content in the show is strictly prohibited. We hope you'll join us again for the Shady Pines Guys. You can find us on Apple, Google, and Spotify Podcasts. And on Ali too.